FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 480 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason. And yes, we're going to catch up on the 10 lives and deaths of Wolverine. I guess worth mentioning, we're officially in the countdown to episode 500. 20 episodes to go. Pretty awesome. Um, you know, I have some pipe dreams for a couple of things I might like to try, but I'm not ready to make any sort of announcement of any sort <laughs> for episode 500. But now that I'm going to do everything I can to make it really cool and awesome, um, you know, so I got to do all these shows, uh, I think, with various degrees of success, but it's always my attempt to be as awesome as I can for you guys. So uh, that'll be no different than the 500. I'll try to blow something up. Uh, I'm going to try to go like Looney Tunes, right, with the little dynamite where you push the handle down. That's what I'm, that's what I'm shooting for. We'll see. We'll see. But, you know, whatever happens, it'll definitely at least be something big, either content-wise or, or guest-wise or whatever. But, um, yeah. So anyway, enough of that. <laughs> We're going to get into the event that's going on right now, uh, the 10 Lives and Deaths of Wolverine. We're going to cover uh, death, 10 Deaths of Wolverine number 2. Uh, but before we get to that, we have to talk about uh, the life of Wolverine number 4, the Infinity comic, which of course is written by Jim Zub, art by Ramon Box, colors by Hava Tartaglia, Letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and production by Annie Ching and uh, Tim Smith III. So this one starts off with Wolverine in World War One and talks about how war changes everyone, even the Wolverine, which is a, a nice opening line. It's pretty cool. Um, all the unhold horrors. He meets, he meets the angel of death on the battlefield, which I'm scratching my brain like mad to remember what this is referencing. Um, I don't know if it's something from the origin, not the origin of his actual origin, but the Wolverine Origins series that came out in the early 2000s. I don't know if it's a reference to that specifically, or if it's something else that maybe I haven't, that I missed somewhere. I don't know, or I'm just not remembering. My memory, you know, I have almost as many holes in my memory now as Wolverine does. <laughs> not from Weapon X, just from, you know, being 44. <laughs> Um, anyway, so it talks about World War One, and after he leaves the war, he just kind of roams around, kind of doing whatever. Uh, he meets Ogun in Shanghai and is offered to train. He turns it down at the time. We'll come back to that. And we get this story where he meets Mystique, like back in the Old West, which was, I believe, I don't remember which volume of Wolverine that was, but it was definitely in there. Um... And yeah, it talks about kind of that story, and then he goes back to Madripoor, kind of in and out of Madripoor, spends some time, you know, doing doing some dirty work and blood money stuff for Seraph. Um, and then he gets dissatisfied, goes back to Japan, and starts his training as a samurai with Ogun, but there's some uh, bad stuff that goes down there, so he leaves. Uh, we get that jaunt to the Spanish Civil War <laughs> from the Hammer Time run and some time he spent with uh, Black Widow in Russia training her. And then the time he meets Captain America from the the famous and awesome 
uh, issue with Jim Lee and Chris Claremont in Uncanny X-Men. And it's really funny because they, they capture the line. Uh, you know, Michael Kaiser came on and did that. Roman Cars Marvel did that episode with me. It was a great episode. Uh, there's, a, there's a line in there where Wolverine, or Captain America, you know, says, I'm supposed to be a symbol. And Wolverine says, never met one of those before. And they, they recapture that uh, in this uh, kind of the last quote-unquote panel. Uh, there are a couple of things they do visually different on this one. There's um there's a part where they show Wolverine's time in Madripoor, kind of his first incarnation dispatch, and he's stabbing the guy, and it all goes red. And then you see Wolverine's hands, and there's blood, and then it drips down. And it scrolls down through some narration boxes that you, you know, in the Infinity Comics, you kind of scroll, and just keep scrolling down, down vertically on your phone. Um, so that's pretty cool, like the way the blood just kind of trails down through the words. Um, it's a nice little effect. Um, again, not a whole lot necessarily new here, but it puts some stuff in order in an interesting way. The art's all right. Um, I'm going to give it, you know... I almost feel kind of bad grading these at this point, just kind of knowing what they are and the purpose they serve. It seems kind of inappropriate to grade the quality or even my enjoyment. Let's be honest, my our grades are usually more about my enjoyment than trying to be super critical, though these Scalbros try to bring a little actual criticism when they come on with me. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, well, I liked it or I didn't, and here's why. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, just a solid three out of six claws, I think, for this one, um, for sure. So, let's move into the main event. Uh, let's get into Ten Deaths and Wolverine number two. Alright, so let's get to the, the credits here. So this, of course, is Dead Run, or X underscore two, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Federico Vincentini, and colors by Diho Lima. Letter and design by VCs Corey Pettit. Woohoo! More design by Tom Mueller. And the cover is by Adam Kubert and Frank Martin. And on this cover, we have the three kind of techno claws, the techno organic phalanx claws of Wolverine. And right behind them, like almost trying to avoid them, is a startled figure of Moira, and then in the background walking out of a Michael Bay explosion is a smaller figure of Mystique. Uh, so that's what we got on the cover. It's a pretty good cover. I won't lie, I, you know, looking at it, I wasn't like, oh yeah, that's obviously Adam Kubert. Something about Moira's face is a little bit different. And I think when you kind of really look at it, you're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I wasn't like it. Like normally you see his work, you know, like, yeah, that's Adam Kubert. Like you can just kind of glance at it. You don't even have to study it necessarily um, to know like like he is such a legend and such a epic artist and has such a singular style that you can kind of just recognize it off the bat. This one didn't necessarily just scream Adam Kubert to me, but it is really good. Um, really like the claws and the coloring and. I, I, I kind of made light of Mystique walking out of the explosion like a Michael Bay movie, but it is a cool effect. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's jump in. Remember, Moira is on the run, and she has uh, lung cancer, but she's also being hunted by Mystique. And she had a run-in with Jane Foster, so she stops at Persico Gas, which I'm assuming... <laughs> I'm assuming... Um, the artist put that in as a nod to writer Benjamin Percy, you know, made him the the owner of an oil and gas empire. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Um, 
But yeah, Mystique, I'm sorry, Moira, remember who is uh, cut and dyed her hair blonde, is getting some stuff at the convenience store, and then she holds it up and steals the money. She gets a burner phone, which is kind of funny, because I, I don't know, I guess you can just, can you just ask for a burner phone? Like, is that something that you do? I mean, I guess I'm not shady enough. I've never just gone to a store and said, hey, give me a burner phone. I want to buy one of those. Uh, I don't know if you can do that or not. I mean, she does before she robs the place. It's one of the things she, like, <laughs> she asked for, like, her, her list of what she wanted. <laughs> and then she held it up. So she she got the stuff she wanted and, and the money out of the register. Um, so, yeah, she got a burner phone. She calls Jane Foster, who's doing her thing in the morgue. And basically, he's getting the results. So... What we find out, or what Jane Foster reveals to Moira, is in the cancer cells there is um, something she's never seen. There's fluoronic matter woven into the cancer cells. And so it's not specifically said. So there's there's some stuff that they, this book kind of answers, but answers it with some questions. So she says, oh, well, they did this to me. Or whom? Like, Xavier and Magneto did something to her? And it, like, triggered when her mutate, like, her mutation maybe. Yeah, Alright, so the assumption is her mutation kept this in check. Kept the cancer in check, kept the pharaonic whatever in check, okay? And then when Mystique and Destiny took away her mutant powers, that allowed the cancer to metastasize and and start spreading as its intent which of course she you know is kind of wondering why do I have lung cancer I don't remember smoking a lot in the comics um, but yeah so Jane Foster reveals that there are some pharaonic elements and Moira puts two and two together that the, the cancer was introduced via Krakoa so, like I said, that then, though, while supplying an answer of where the cancer came from, leads to a whole lot of questions, because she just says, they did this to me. Which you could just mean, in the general sense, Krakoa did this to me. Mutants, X-Men, whatever. But it begs the question, then, was this a backup plan by Xavier and Magneto? Like, they kind of planned on this in her at one point, in case she decided to go bad, they could somehow turn this on themselves uh, did Mystique and Destiny do this when they were interrogating her as a way so it makes sense they would want to do something like this for revenge but since their intention was to kill her why would they also give her Krakoan cancer right so I don't think that one makes as much sense it's a possibility but it doesn't make as much sense um, you know did Krakoa do it is Krakoa doing this to everybody? That's, I think, maybe a question that is worth exploring. Um, we know Krakoa's not going to last forever. We don't know what the cracks are going to be. We've seen some of those through Inferno and, you know, Trial of Magneto and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, is, is Krakoa intentionally or unintentionally poisoning the mutants, but to a level that their mutant power shows no effects? So maybe he even, maybe Krakoa even thinks, they, Krakoa's definitely a they, um, maybe they even think that, you know, it's just a harmless side effect and it doesn't impact the mutants and only mutants are there, so it doesn't matter, right? I don't know. I mean, I think there's some definitely 
intriguing possibilities there. You know, it, it stinks of Beast, but there's no indication that we've seen so far that Beast was in on this at an early enough stage to have done this. Um, now, unless Xavier Magneto had him do it, like, unconsciously, which is possible, but then that would still really just go back to Xavier Magneto. So, I think those are probably the two most compelling theories, is that either Xavier Magneto did this because they never really fully trusted Moira to begin with, or Krakoa is doing this, like I said, either intentionally or unintentionally, either way I think it could be a good story, but the idea is that no one knows because it doesn't impact the mutants and it only reveals itself through Moira. Now, what can also be interesting is that they decide, because right now there's like the Krakoan wonder drugs, right? Are there... I hope they know, because I feel like this has maybe been done before, right? Oh, there's this cure. But years later, here's all these terrible things that happen because you took the cure. Um, so I hope that's not where we're going. I mean, there's definitely a, another possibility for sure that, you know, anyone who's been exposed to Krakoa either on the island or through taking the medicine or the flowers or the drugs, right? The actual, like, drug drug, like narcotics that people are using the petals and stuff for, um, all that has the side effect of eventually getting Krakoan cancer. I don't know. Um, lots of things they can play with here, but they just set up a very general, or sorry, a very kind of ominous, this cancer is not natural, it's Krakoan in nature, or at least co-opted by Krakoan genetics. How did it get there? Is the, is the big question here. I think it's really, really interesting. Um, then she throws the burner phone out the window and it breaks, and that's kind of where we kick off the story. And then we find some people, some fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico, that catch a shark, a big old great white shark, and it's got three slashes in the nose, and our technotronic wolverine, techno-organic wolverine, phalanx wolverine, climbs out of the water, they try to fight him. He's like, you don't want to do that. And we get a nice snick. Where he says, just get off the boat. So everyone jumps off. And he rides the boat away into the sunset. Then we see Moira at a hotel in New Mexico. And she is doing some heavy drinking. And she's looking at her arm. And she discovers or, or decides either legitimately or through paranoia that this arm either has a tracker in it or just because of the techno-organic components, uh, Mystique is able to find her faster and track her down and is giving Mystique a leg up. And she doesn't like that. She's going to do something about it. So that, again, gives us somewhat of an answer. Mystique is able to keep finding Moira because of the techno-organic arm and a potential bug or tracking device that's in it. But then that at wonders... So, it really, it really kind of ask, ask a lot of questions about what Doug is doing, right? He steps in. He stops Mystique and Destiny from killing Moira in a very awesome scene in Inferno where he really just turns out to be, like, this awesome, like, powerful, super strategic, like, Doug leveled up, right? It was, it was great. A great reveal, a great turning point in the story that Doug is, is integral to... Krakoa down to the roots, right? And that was awesome. He gives Moira, as a parting gift, and allowing her to escape, a replacement arm. Because they're a techno-organic warlock arm. 
um, that she can have kind of as a prosthetic. It's what it seems like, right? It's just kind of a mystique and dusting and cut off your arm. That kind of sucks. Here's, you know, if you don't have your mutant powers, I can't give you powers, but here's an arm, right? Take it. It'll, it'll self-replicate, whatever. You know, you're good. So the question is, Doug gave her the arm. If there's a tracking device, did Doug put it in there? And you can argue that maybe he would have reason to, so that if he ever needed to find Moira, he could. Right? That makes sense. So that part's not even all that shady. The weird thing is, though, is if he did it, and he saved Moira from Mystique and Destiny, then why would he give Mystique the capability to track her down after letting her escape? Like, why not just let Mystique kill her when she was going to in the first place? Was it just a power play? Was it just to reveal? It seems like, well, it's a very, very awesome and cool story reveal for the reader. It seems like not something he would do lightly in, in story, right? Like, he felt like he really had to reveal himself at that time and, and saving Moira's life or, or allowing her to escape because of her contributions or whatever, whatever his reason was. Um, was a big enough moment that it was worth the risk of revealing himself. So, you wonder then how Mystique is able to track. Did she somehow find out and steal the ability to track? I don't know. I mean, these are questions that I think I hope get answered in a meaningful way. Right now, though, it just leads to the point of, of when we were checking in this hotel and she, um, yeah, she, uh, she's filling up a bathtub. She is plugging in a flat iron, like an iron. Um, she is pouring iodine in the tub, and she's taking a bath with some whiskey. And then she heats up this butcher knife, and she cuts that techno-organic arm right off. And it's a gruesome scene. Blood splatters on her. It's terrible. The bloody techno-organic arm drops out of the tub. She takes the iron and cauterizes her stump. It's a, it's a gruesome page. It really is. It's effective. It's a very effective. And yeah, and then we see Mystique is uh, taking over the, the front desk. She knocks on the door with some towels. Room service! <laughs> uh, kicks the door in, sees the arm under the covers on the bed and shoots it full of holes. But it's just a pillow. It's just the arm. There's no Moira body there. Then a bomb blows up, blows the hotel room up. And Destiny's back at home. Is like... I knew this was going to happen. She didn't believe me. Um, and she says, there's a figure, death himself. And there's, she sees a silhouette of our techno-organic Wolverine in the sky. And Krakoa is trying to figure out, like, was... Because Jean noticed the Wolverine and said, well, maybe just a hallucination. This mission is very taxing. Sending Wolverine's essence back in time takes a lot of my power. Maybe I just saw something I didn't really see, right? Very possible. But then Krakoa kind of logs that there was something there, a secondary Wolverine, but also some failings. So Sage, at least in her logbook, recognizes that something is going on. It seems to involve Wolverine, and it seems to involve the failings. So we know that. Uh, Ford is trying to, he found the pod, or Black Tom gave him the pod that our future Wolverine came out of. I say future, that our. I think they're calling it an Omega Wolverine, which is kind of confusing because of the Omega stuff in Ten Lives. But, um, anyway, uh, he's he's analyzing it, not getting real far. 
but he does know. He says it's out of time. Like, there's something almost futuristic about it, but it ages, like, he ages it through his science. And it's, like, ancient, even predating the Krakoan island itself. So, this weird kind of, like, timey-wimey stuff going on. And again, more questions than answers, which is fine. I mean, we're in, we're in Chapter 2, so setting up lots of mysteries is, is very, very appropriate. Um, there are Phalanx Wolverine, Omega Wolverine, Death Wolverine, whatever, which, well, by the way, I like the nod of that, a figure of death, knowing that at one time, even if so briefly, Wolverine did serve as a horseman of death. Uh, like it's a, at least a passing nod to that, if not actually a story point. Again, we will see what happens. Um, but yeah, so that Wolverine goes in. Now we see Mystique is dead. Like, she is burned to the bone, as far as we can tell. I know her. She can morph, and maybe she, I don't know, can survive this. I, I'm assuming she was resurrected, but even this Wolverine stomps on the skull and breaks it. And he goes into the uh, the hotel desk where the servers are, the hard drives or whatever. And we get a nice little techno-organic snick as he pops one single claw and kind of plugs it into the computer port. It starts downloading files through his claw, which is a cool effect. It looks really great. And we get a, not quite a snack, but a snack. <laughs> no tease, he is interrupted, pulls the claw out, he has to take down some cops. And we see a mysterious blonde woman who's on a hill with a rifle scope checking out this whole scene. Sees Wolverine attack and steal a police car and drive off and um, she says, I've seen the future, I just didn't think it would get here so fast. Not real sure who she is yet or if I'm supposed to know, then I don't know. But that's where we end. So, all in all, a really great chapter. I'm still really loving this story overall. Um, it's really, really fun. And it's got a lot. It's got some good mystery. I mean, obviously, it needs to have the payoff, but I think it will. I have no reason to not think that Benjamin Percy will deliver the goods. I really believe that he will. Um, yeah, it's just it's a lot of mysteries. It's, it's, it's a lot of action. This one's moving really fast, right? It just it's it's going fast. It is super fast paced. A lot of action. A lot of mystery. I'm very engaged. I'm asking questions, which is always fun. You know, when you read a book, you're like, huh. You're kind of scratching your head, trying to put the puzzle pieces together yourself, thinking you're about theories. Like, you know, I, a couple of different places, I had some different theories about what was going on, and I don't know what the right answer is, and I like that. I think that's cool. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give um, 10 Deaths and Wolverine number two, six out of six claws. I'm still way on board for both of these books in this Wolverine event. Now, and I saw some kind of, I couldn't tell if they were really, well, actually, I saw both. I saw some people complaining and very excited about the fact that this book, that Ten Lives is very much about Wolverine. And Ten Deaths is very much, has Wolverine in the title, and we have this character, but he's kind of almost like just a Terminator character, kind of stalking through the background, not really doing anything character-wise. Like, obviously, he has a mission, but, you know, Whatever, but, you know, a lot of people saying both for good and bad. People were, like I said, were disappointed and excited that the book's not really about Wolverine so far. Um, it really is a Moira, it really is just a Moira book that is like Inferno Part 2. It's a sequel to Inferno with a Wolverine flavor. I like that. I think it's working great. 
Um, I think it ties into Inferno really well. I haven't really sat down to talk with Georgie explicitly. I know, you know, he was probably of the Excaliburos and myself the most vocal about just being very trepidatious about picking up Hickman's pieces, explicitly the ones from Inferno and will they be handled right? I I don't know if he is reading this or enjoying it, but I really am. I really am. Six out of six claws for me. Um, I just I'm along for the ride. And I think the art looks great. Colors look great. I mean it's all it's all great. <laughs> Alright, cool. Well um so let's go next. We're gonna go to another different Marvel Infinity comic. Which by the way, guys, um I only know this I needed to read this because Wolverine made the cover of the previous spider bots. So there's a lot of this infinity stuff that I will kind of I'm kind of just scratching the surface on. I'll read a little bit here and I'll kind of wait and maybe read a little bit more. I'm not really like watching it like a hawk. So dear listeners, if you see Wolverine in a in one of these infinity series and I'm not up to speed on and let me know so I can jump in and cover it because I definitely will um, yeah he's in Spider-Bot number 10 which is written by Jordan Bloom art by Amara letters by VCs Clayton Cowles and of course production by Annie Ching and Tim Smith III so like I said this is my first first issue with Spider-Bot um, and life's a Krakoan beach <laughs> so we see Krakoa and Forge gets a vidcom, a vid, like a Zoom call <laughs> from Spider-Man for Wolverine. And Spider-Man, and Wolverine's like, I can see that. Does he know I'm here? And Forge is like, um, he can see you. <laughs> and Spider-Man's like trying to ask for a favor. And Wolverine's like, no, it's my day off. And then Cyclops comes in and says, Logan, I know it's your day off. And so Logan, with a, the tip of his claw, puts Spider-Man on mute. He's like, yeah, sure, anything to get out of this conversation. And Cyclops is like, well, there's been a security breach on the island. Um, I was hoping you could check it out. And he's like, I'll catch your trespassers swim and you talk to webs. And <laughs> I saw somebody tweet a close-up of the panel. Because <laughs> this Wolverine's stalking off with his claws out. And a nice double snake. It's actually a pretty good double snake. Where he's like, I'll catch your trespassers swim and you talk to webs. And he storms off. And, and someone tweeted a close-up of Cyclops with Slim question mark because uh, he's got some serious junk in the trunk <laughs> in this panel. Like Cyclops' booty is on. He's got a nice bubble butt going on for sure. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was funny. I can't remember who did it. I saw it a couple of times, a couple of different re- retweets of it. So I apologize for missing the original tweeter, but um, I thought it was really, really funny. And so, then when he goes to Beast's lab, where Beast has been overtaken and hung upside down, and he's like, um, they stole the Omni battery, feel free to get me down. Wolverine's like, Trillies, this way. And Beast is like, I said, feel free to get me down, Logan. Logan! As Wolverine runs off. And goes to the Green Lagoon, where, um, some drink umbrellas were stolen, and goes to Hellfire Bay, where Storm is there. Uh, someone stole her one billion thread count Shi'ar sheets. 
<laughs> and Wolverine's like, I'll get it, I'll get it. Um, Cannonballs says, Spider-Man's trying to get a hold of you. He called me from space. Um, and Wolverine's like, no, I think I found him. Now it's time to introduce him to six of my best adamantium friends. This is a great line. Um, so he starts sliding down this cliff. And he starts talking about how mad he is and he's, he's wasting a vacation day doing this. Um, you know, how he never gets downtime because there's ninjas or reavers or brood or avengers or alpha flight or the new fantastic four or the secret defenders. And like, man, I gotta learn how to say no to some teams. <laughs> now that I'm kind of just poking fun at how ubiquitous Wolverine is. Um, anyway, we slide down and we find Spider-Bot on the beach. And he's on storm sheets as a beach blanket he's got this battery that he's charging with from beast lab and he's got the drink umbrellas serving as umbrellas for him and he's like spider bot and spider bot's like please don't slice the dice me i was just trying to get away and he says that spider-man is really annoying that he's a great hero he loves being around but sometimes he just needs a break and then Magic shows up and says, Somehow Spider-Man got my number in a limbo and called looking for you. Something about a missing robot. What should I tell him? And Wolverine looks at Spider-Bot. Spider-Bot puts his front arms up. Like, please. And Logan says, Tell him I'm off enjoying a day off with my friend. And we see Spider-Bot and Wolverine sitting on the beach just hanging out. And it's a nice, fun, cute little story. It's sweet. Wolverine's kind of the gruff, like, I'm going to find this guy, and it's an intruder, and kill him, and, and Spider-Man is just like, I just needed a break from Spider-Man, please let me hang out here. And I guess since he's a robot, there's nothing to say he can't go through a gate or get to Krakoa some other way. They don't really address how he got there, and it doesn't really matter for this story. Um, but that's one. The art was fine, uh, the story was fun and sweet. Um, I'll give Spider-Bot number 10 5 out of 6 claws. So the next thing we're going to talk about is Devil's Reign number 4. Now, again, my coverage of this is going to be pretty loose because I don't... I'm still not sure if this version of Wolverine that, that Otto Octavius has pulled in, I don't know if it is just... They call him Otto. And I don't know if it's just a Dr. Octopus that went through something like Weapon X, or if it's like a superior Wolverine from that dimension and Otto took over Logan's body. So I'm just going to kind of barely talk about it real fast, um, and then we'll kind of go from there. So Devil's Reign number four. Let me go back to the beginning so I can get the credits. Uh, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Caquetto, colors by Marcio Menez, letters by Clayton Cowles, and the cover is by Caquetto and Matthew Wilson. And on the cover we have Dr. Octopus, U.S. Agent, and Rhino in their Thunderbolts costumes, and Rhino is smashing some Iron Man armor. I really like Caquetto's Rhino. It's pretty uh, nasty looking. So... Alright, so our Wolverine character, or Otto character, not sure which one, all he does really is drink some scotch while Dr. Octopus threatens Kingpin and says, you can be the figurehead, you can have the city, I'm taking the world. Um, so really the gist of this is Kingpin is trying to find the Purple Man's kids, not to get rid of them, but to amplify his power, and he sends the Thunderbolts out to get them. Um, Rhino contacts the champions, and says, you know, I'm not 
I thought this was a legal job, like it's like police work, but then the mayor sent me after some kids. I'm just not comfortable, and I wanted to tell y'all. Then he gives them some Thunderbolt badges so that these uh, Octobots that are flying around in the air like security drones, and they scan a badge or get like a signal from a badge, and they won't interfere with any powered people. Because the Thunderbolts are all powered people on Fisk payroll. Um, then we see our heroes, Fantastic Four, Moon Knight, Iron Man. They escape from jail, prison break, and then, uh, of course, Miles comes and tells the Avengers uh, what Rhino told them. And they're going after the purple kids, and they decide we can't wait any longer. And then, um, Wilson's trying to have some sexy time with Typhoid Mary, who they just got married. Um, and he has this cane, he asks me, Typhoid is talking about how, you know, her therapy and shock treatment and whatever, that she has feelings for her past romances with Fisk, but can't remember all the details about them. And he says, I wish you could remember. And then Kane lights up and she remembers. And he's like, huh. So he goes outside and he grips the cane really tight and stares at the crystal and says, remember. And he's, he's on his roof on the balcony and it's raining, it's storming. And he looks up and red bloody rain says, Matt Murdock. So he remembers what the purple man made him forget. Or what the purple kids made him forget. And so, yeah. So that's ominous, obviously. Um, art's really good. Story's pretty good. I, I would give this probably... Five out of six claws, I think. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Awesome. So... We're running kind of short. So what I'll do is I'll try this week to get another episode out um, of something else. Obviously, we not, cannot jump ahead in our weekly coverage of the Wolverine event. But I'll try to get something else out this week. But before I end, I do have one other thing I want to mention and talk about. And that is what I'm going to call a flashback backtrack. <laughs> Because I, I messed up on something. Actually, I didn't. I mean, it wasn't on any of the list. But I missed a flashback issue that had Wolverine in a flashback episode, or panel. <laughs> and that makes sense. So, um, I'm trying to find it real fast, because I don't know why it's not showing up right away. No, not Super Bill. Super Villain. There's going to be a super villain team up. And it's not showing in my continued reading. One, one thing I don't like, if I can just have a, a brief gripe about Marvel Unlimited, is sometimes your continued reading doesn't show what you've actually been reading, and it's kind of annoying. But anyway, we're going to get a super villain team up number 14. Now, this is something I just, this is not on, typically on the Wolverine reading list appearances. Um, at least it wasn't. Now, I, I want some transparency here. The last time I would have checked for something like this would have been back in 2013. <laughs> because this references uh, Uncanny X-Men 104. Or I guess at that point, just X-Men 104. Which I covered, if you want to listen to it back on episode 31. That's right. We're almost to 500. I should have talked about this issue back on episode 31. So I'm only like 
450 episodes too late. <laughs> and that episode came out, in case you're wondering, in May of 2013. So I just so happened, because I've been doing my Marvel reading project, where I started with Fantastic Four number one, and I am reading everything that I possibly can, either through physical issues, which I don't have much that old, really nothing that old. Not, when I, now that I've gotten to the 70s, I do have some of that stuff in my collection. Not much, but a little bit. But most of it has been reading on Marvel Unlimited. So where there's a hole there, obviously I can't read it. But anyway, so I'm all the way up through like 1977, which has been pretty cool. Over the last couple of years, I've read just a shit ton of Marvel comics, and it's been really fun, and I've, I'm loving it overall. Um, and I got to just in my casual, normal reading, Supervillain Team Up number 14, and I was kind of reading through it, and I was like, wait a second. Here's a flashback scene of Magneto fighting Wolverine from X-Men 104, and that's the first time that the new team... The, the giant-sized team meets and confronts Magneto. And like I said, if you want to hear all the details and my thoughts and opinions, it's one of the issues we talk about on episode 31, way back in May of 2013. But now, today, we're going to talk just briefly about Supervillain Team Up number 14 in a segment I'm going to call Flashback Backtrack. <laughs> And that's what I'll do. If I find, as I continue to go through my 70s reading, something that I just missed for one reason or another, I'll pull it up. It may not... It may be on any random different episode. It may, if it fits with a flashback episode, I'll put it there. If I just need to tack it to fill out a new episode, I'll put it here like I am now. <laughs> so this is um, A World for the Winning. Um, story by Bill Mantlo. Art by Bob Hall. Inking by Don Perlin and Duffy Voland. Then letters by Irv W. And colors by Don W. And then Archie Goodwin pulled all the editing together. Our cover is by John Byrne. We have Doctor Doom, arms folded, his cape blowing in the wind, and says, Magneto has dared to challenge me. Bow, slaves, and show him Earth's true master. And bowing around him in a circle are the Avengers and the champions of that day. So... Notable are Captain America and Iceman in the front, and then the other characters around the edges. It's a, it's a nice cover. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's peak John Byrne, so it looks pretty nice. Um, so I won't really go into a lot of detail here. Basically, Magneto goes to find Doom. He goes to Liberia, and he finds Doom. And Doom's not too happy to see him. But Magneto's like, you know what? I want to dominate the world, but you want to rule the world. Maybe we can work together. And Doom's like, stupid Magneto, I already rule the world. I have these canisters of gas, Doom gas, and I've been leaking it slowly into the atmosphere. I'm actually controlling everybody right now. I am. Doom knows all. Doom is God. Magneto's like, nah. And Doom's like, want to bet? And he, he goes, and Magneto at this point tells him his life story. <laughs> For some reason, that's where we get the flashback of him blasting the X-Men, which he says he kicked their butts. And we know that's obviously a lopsided um, retelling of that story. Um, but yeah, um, and he was like, no, you, you're not controlling me. And Dave's like, what a bet. And he says, bow. And Magneto bows against his will. And he says, 
kill yourself with my swords and you know uses magnetic powers and pulls the swords to him but at the last second erupts the magnetic shield but even Magneto's like I didn't do that you somehow subconsciously made me defend myself and Doom's like you betcha <laughs> and so he's like well you know what I need to, I need to have some fun I need a fair fight and he gives Magneto a potion that knocks him out but also serves as the antidote to the gas and he sends Magneto on his way and says we will fight soon and so Magneto runs and he can't find the X-Men we see that he says off panel then he looked for the X-Men and couldn't find them and we know that they're uh, doing something else and then um, he finds the Avengers and so of course the Avengers find him and Beast is like I hope he doesn't recognize me but eventually Beast has to talk and Magneto does recognize him and you know Magneto's holding his own pretty good um, eventually Beast kind of sucker punches him sucker kicks him and even Captain America's like, hold on, he's not trying his hardest. He's not trying to kill us, so he must need something. And he's like, yes, I need your help to fight Doctor Doom. And they're like, what? Uh, he tells them the whole story, and they're like, no, we're not being controlled. What are you talking about? Then Doom shows up and says, you can have one Avenger. And Magneto picks Beast. And so Beast is cured also. Actually, it's not even really that Doom cures him. Magneto is somehow able, through magnetism, to isolate the gas in Beast's body and pull it out. <laughs> this is ridiculous, but in the best way, guys. Um, <laughs> he pulls it out, and Beast remembers who he is and what he's doing. He's like, whoa, I'm free. He says, well, we can't go to the Avengers, but I have some friends. You remember Iceman and Angel? They were on the old X-Men team that, you know, fought you in your first appearance? And he's like, yeah. Well, they're on a team in L.A. called the Champions. And then he was like, all right, California knows how to party. Let's go. And so they go out to meet the Champions, and the Champions are like, no, the Avengers said you would come, and Magneto would have a cockamamie story about Doctor Doom controlling us. We're not being controlled. We're all, we have free will. And we're going to kick your butt, Beast of Magneto, and you traitors. And to be continued. Um... Now, actually, this is, this says it's the last issue, but then there's more. So it must have been canceled temporarily. <laughs> um, but this, this story is continued in Champions number 16, which is, I've also been really enjoying. Um, I won't cover that one because there's no flashback of Wolverine. But essentially, at, in the end, somehow Magneto swallowed... Oh, 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 yeah. Because, um... Ghost Rider uses Hellfire. His Ghost Rider says he doesn't breathe, apparently, when he's Ghost Rider. Does not have the gas. Though, I just thought just now, and I totally bought it hook, line, hook, line, and sinker in the story. But he turns to Johnny Blaze all the time. And, and Doom was like, I've been doing this gas, like, over time to get the whole world. Like, not like I did this yesterday. So he should have been able to still control Ghost Rider. But anyway, Ghost Rider says, I can't breathe, so I didn't breathe the gas in. Um, and so he's able to fight uh, Doctor Doom and, and burns him with Hellfire. And like, ooh, hot, hot, and takes his mask off. Because <laughs> it's hot. But when he takes his mask off, he breathes in the gas. And then he gets stuck in a Doom loop. <laughs> I'm not kidding, guys. He gets stuck in a doom loop where he breathes the gas in and says, I must obey doom. 
but he can't tell himself what to do because he's waiting for orders from himself and he just kind of just gets stuck in like this loop of, of controlling himself but waiting to be controlled by himself and it's, it's really dumb but really awesome all at the same time and that's this this super villain team up issue is the same way it's dumb but it's great um you know, I gotta say, and you know, I don't, I don't know if I've ever brought this back up. Back in when I started the show, and I was doing the early flashbacks. You know, we had that annual, that weird annual written by Matt Lowe, and there's a couple of random issues, um, a couple of his Hulk things, and a couple other things he did that I didn't really like, and I I was really guilty about it because. Around that time was when it was kind of first revealed he was having some pretty bad health issues, and so I didn't. It would never like malign a person, you know, on a personal level or individually. But I just I had a lot of trouble getting into the stories I read. But in all fairness, those things that I read for the flashback episodes up to that point was my only exposure to Bill Mantlo. Now I have since discovered through my 60s and 70s Marvel reading that in the 70s. In the early to mid-70s, and beyond, but especially, I mean, what I can testify to so far, Bill Mantlo as is prolific as, you know, the other guys who were heading up the Marvel offices. And he wrote a ton of stuff. And like most of those guys, he has a lot of good stuff, and he has some bad stuff. Some stuff that just doesn't work. But he's got a lot of really good stuff. Um... He's a much better writer than I was able to see through limited exposure and give him credit for. And I want to justify and correct that now because it's not just this issue. This issue was ridiculous and fun, but he has he's had some pretty serious stuff that's been really good too. Um, so unfortunately, you know, the, the stuff that Wolverine was in, I didn't really enjoy. Maybe some of the ideas didn't work as well for me, but, you know, he, and just his overall career, I put it on about equal footing with most of the other writers in the 70s who were just doing a ton of work. And when you write that high of a volume, you can't be good all the time. It's just not, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> at, at what they were doing in the Marvel offices and, and the, the monthly comic book schedule and just how much they were writing, something was going to slip through the cracks, and I guess I just happened to read those first. But I'm here to say I really enjoy, for the most part, a lot of Bill, not all of it, but a lot of Bill Mantlo, and so I want to, you know, step back any thoughts I had previously on him's career. Not, I will say, I've only read a few of the things that I've covered on the podcast before. I haven't gotten to most of them yet have not changed my mind very much on those specific issues. Like the X-Men annual that he did with all the like weird like different cultural gods in a way that didn't really seem to work. It's not necessarily a bad idea. It just didn't really work. Still don't really like that issue. <laughs> some of his Marvel team-up stuff. Still don't really like that book just in general. But some of his other stuff I like a lot. And so I just want to give credit where credit's due. Um, Bob Hall. It's kind of house style um he's fine his art's fine it's good enough and i 
This this issue was dumb, but I really loved it. I liked it a lot. I'm gonna give it. I, I mean, a solid four out of six claws. We're just kind of some of the, the points not really working, but for the most part, just a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun. So, awesome. All right, well, so that's our flashback backtrack, and that is our coverage of the weekly Wolverine event. And like I said, well, maybe I'll get something else out, maybe like another flashback episode this week or not. But either way, at the very least, we'll be back soon for the next installment of 10 Lives in Wolverine. So, as always, you can find the Facebook page for Podcast That Goes Nicked, and you can like it. Uh, you can leave an iTunes review if that floats your boat. Uh, Twitter is at SnickCast. And show notes and stuff are at SnickCast.Podbean.com. Um, so please, everyone out there, stay well, stay safe. And until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.